0: Welcome. You are listening to intentional conversations from Nika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. Now, it does me great pleasure to introduce our guest co host for today. You all who have been part of this community, you know that I like to read their official bios because I want you to know the accolades, the credentials, how in which they're showing up to this work and this space and their experience. And so after which I'm reading her bio, I will invite Melissa Watson Ward to in her own way greet this audience. Melissa Watson Ward is the Deputy Affiliate Director for Emerge, where she collaborates with and provides support to the organization's growing network of state affiliates. With more than 15 years of experience in community organizations, Melissa has dedicated her career to providing education, resources, and advocacy to decrease disparities and increase opportunities for underrepresented groups. In addition to her work with Emerge, Melissa is a veteran of the United States Army Reserve Thank you for your service. She is also an active member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority, Incorporated, and the Lynx Incorporated. Melissa's commitment to making a difference has earned her recognition, including being honored as part of the 2021-20 Under 40 by the South Carolina Black Pages and the state newspaper. She has completed several leadership programs, including the Dorothy I. Height Global Leadership Academy, Majeska Simpkins School of Social Justice, Leadership South Carolina, and the Sisters of Charity Nonprofit Leadership Program. Melissa holds a Master of Public Health, a Master of Social Work, and a Bachelor of Arts in Experimental Psychology and Criminology and Criminal Justice from my alma mater, the University of South Carolina, as well as a certificate in political social work from the University of Michigan. She is also a licensed master social worker and a certified master training through the Association of Talent Development. Melissa's personal mantra of life is, saving the world one person at a time, encapsulates her passion for making a positive impact on the lives of individuals and communities. And so VODCAST community, you know what we do right now. We find those words of affirmation, those words of welcome and appreciation, whatever it is, find those emojis, whatever the reactions you can locate, but find them now and help me to welcome our guest co-host today, Melissa Watson-Ward to our VODCAST community. We're so glad to have you here, Melissa. I wanna give you a chance to greet this audience in your own way. But I will tell you that one of the things that we love to hear about in this podcast community after hearing all of the great credentials of our guest co-host is maybe one or two things that um, they can share with us that we would not know from reading their bio or even going to their LinkedIn profile. So this is your chance to dig a little bit deep and help us to get to know you a little bit better. Welcome, my friend.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Dr. White. Thank you for having me here. I'm very excited for this conversation. Um, as I was introduced as Melissa Watson Ward, she, her pronouns, born and raised in Columbia, South Carolina, um, and currently working out of Columbia, South Carolina, um, trying to really make a difference in my community and my state. Um, one thing about me that is not on my profile in my bio is that I actually have around 17 children on my Christmas list. Um, I believe that my most important role right now in life um is as an aunt and a godmother. I don't have any children of my own. So I get to pour into the children of my family members and my friends. And so I have these little humans that I have been entrusted with by their parents. Um, I'm on daycare pickup lists, school pickup lists. You know, I, I try to be present for school programs, for after school programs, for birthdays, for holidays, for everything in between for these little humans and really pour into them. I think that we can never have too many people who love us and the village concept seems a con- seems like a concept that we've kind of moved away from but i truly believe we all need a village even adults need villages and so i am so honored to be part of these children's village and to pour in them and love them and it is just it brings me joy so it's it's one of the most important parts of who i am
0: that is so beautiful i love that i think everyone deserves to have multiple kind of bonus moms bonus dads because as to your point it does take a village and so um, I applaud you for extending yourself in such a way to so many young people who I know are, are very appreciative of how in which you show up for them. So you're you're inspiring us all, Melissa. Thank you so much. So I jump in and we are going to talk about Emerge and all of the things that you're connected with. But sometimes we like to just address some of the latest news that's found its way into the media for that particular week. And I feel like this week um, we have been drowned out by just reading and hearing and seeing the videos of the Alabama riverfront, Montgomery, Alabama riverfront brawl. And so, I don't know, Melissa, what are your thoughts?
1: You know, I, I've consumed some media around it. Obviously, I've consumed a lot of memes around it because it's it's become a meme and and a a joke on social media. But it is very serious, and I think it's just indicative of some of the race relation issues that we still do have in this country, unfortunately. Um, you know, we we have moved far in life, but we still have a long way to go when it comes to race relations. And I do think it boils down into some some race around what happened with the the boat captain or the boat, um, yeah, one of the boat captains who was at the center or the initial incident started. And I am grateful that he had people to have his back. So often we are in a space where we feel like we're alone. We're fighting these battles alone. The fact that we have video to prove what happened, I think is a blessing. And to hold those accountable. And the fact that people had his back. I think that was important too. the people had his back and I think we can't negate how important it is for us to have our communities back hopefully not in in, in a brawl, but how important it is for us to have each other's back in the community.
0: I think that's beautiful. I couldn't say it any better. Yes, I think that there were so many proud moments for um, Black Americans when they were you know, witnessing the videos been replayed and replayed and replayed. And again, no one ever wants to try to advocate for violence, but when someone's being attacked, by, you know, a multitude of people and it's like, you know, 10 against 1 and being attacked unfairly, unjustly, you do want to hope that someone will come to their rescue. And so it was really a proud moment for I think a lot of black Americans just to be able to sit back and say Yes, you know we we take care of each other. We are we are beginning to take a little bit more control when we see circumstances where one of ours are being um, harmed, and um, and I think there's something to be said for that. You know, I'm hoping that it will send this message of um, you know just just you know caution of of those who are attempting to continue to try to unjustly project harm against you know Black Americans that we're not just going to sit by and stand for it. You know, um, and I and I think there's something really strong about that. So I too have been tickled by the memes, I think it's provided a lot of entertainment for a lot of us this week. But in addition, it also has provided some moments of solidarity that I think uh, we would be remiss if we just didn't um, comment on. So, So thank you for sharing your thoughts on that. So let's talk about your background and your journey into your current role with Emerge. Can you tell us about what that journey looked like and a little bit more information about how in which Emerge has become a really important resource for the state of South Carolina?
1: So if you asked me seven or eight years ago whether I would be in politics, I would have probably laughed at you. (laughs) I... (laughs) I did not go to school with the intention of seeking a political career. My Mm -hmm. grounding is in social services. And so I, my intention was to be a therapist, to do counseling. And so I pursued my master's in public health and my master's in social work in part because I wanted to be a counselor. I wanted to do therapy, but I also wanted to work on the prevention side. Because I realized, as I was in college doing different activities, I was um, I was in an organization that advocated for the mature use of alcohol and drugs on a college campus. So you can imagine how interesting that was. And yes. so, as I did that work, I realized, oh, I could actually prevent people from needing therapy and counseling by providing resources and information to them before they entered into trouble or issues that would would negate them or would make them need counseling. So that's where my interest in prevention came. And so I received the the degrees in social work and public health and went to go work for a social service organization. And our focus was poverty reduction. So Hmm. we worked with different organizations across the state to help them help their clients when it came to social service benefits. However, it felt like I was on a hamster wheel in the Mm -hmm. sense that it was client after client after client with the same story and the same need. However... What I also realized is that there were clients that we couldn't help that really needed help. And it was just a policy or a law that was preventing us from helping them. And usually it was some policy that was, you know, created by some bureaucrat in Columbia that had an impact on someone in rural Buford or rural Barnwell or rural Allendale. And those individuals did not have access to things like jobs, transportation. So no matter how much we hoped, that we could actually help them get off of certain benefits and get jobs. It wasn't possible because there weren't any jobs there. And so my question was, well, why aren't we helping these individuals? Why aren't we giving them the benefits they need to survive? Why aren't we helping them find jobs? And what I realized is, it was the decision makers. It was the decision makers that weren't doing the work to bring jobs to their communities. It was the decision makers that were making these policies and laws that were preventing okay. individuals from having access to this benefit. And particularly what happened right before I joined Emerge was that the governor refused to sign a SNAP waiver, which is SNAP is food stamps. And mm-hmm. with the SNAP waiver, it, it kicked about 50,000 South Carolinians off of SNAP benefits. And the caveat here was that, oh, well, you had to get a job to stay on the SNAP benefits. Well, in an area like Columbia, Greenville, and Charleston, where we have jobs, we have public transportation, that may be a little bit more feasible. But as I said, in an Allendale or a rural Somerville, in somewhere where there's not public transportation, there's not jobs, what are you telling these individuals? Did you just go hungry? So yeah. I frustrated it and then the 2016 election happened and I was very very frustrated and I realized one day it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was sitting on my couch and I was watching law and order and I was angry tweeting and I had had a conversation with a family member a couple of years before about what she had done during the civil rights movement. Very random conversation we had had but this conversation replayed in my mind because She had said during the civil rights movement that she hadn't been actively involved. And I was Mm. at the moment in my head, I thought, okay, it was all of these protests going on. Like it would be impossible for you not to join in protests and not to be involved. Well, Dr. White, it hit me as I was sitting there that day, angry tweeting that I was doing the exact same thing. I wasn't actively being involved in the change that was happening in my community I wasn't Mm -hmm. marching I wasn't protesting yes I was voting I was still actively involved in the political space in some aspect but I didn't feel like I was doing enough and while I don't think that tweeting or Facebooking is bad I think it does get the message out there I needed to do so much more than that and Mm -hmm. literally I saw this job posting for the executive director of Emerge and I was like and I was familiar with the merge because of other work I had done, um, being aware of the work of getting women elected to office. And so I was like, well, I think I should apply. Then, as women do so often, I talked myself out of it. I was like, oh, I don't think I'm qualified. But as I said about that village before, I have a strong built village, I have a very strong village. And my village was like, girl, you need to apply. This job is. Perfect for you. And so I was like, you know, what's the worst that can happen? They can say no. And so I had the support of my village in applying for this job. And Mm -hmm. I applied, and the rest is history. They hired me as the first executive director of Emerge South Carolina. I did that work for about four and a half years, and then I joined our national organization as the deputy affiliate director, which basically means that I support our Southern executive directors and the work that they do to get women elected to office. And I would say I have found my calling. I love what I do. I love what I do with a passion that I never thought possible. And I love the organization that I work for. You know, when they say, you know, you, you have bought into all the hype, I have bought into all the hype. I love the organization that we work that I work for. I love the work that we do. And I feel like I'm off of that hamster wheel. No longer am I helping one client at a time, but I'm truly able to transform communities because when that woman gets to let into public office, she is going to go and she is going to introduce a policy that will have a direct immediate impact on that community. And so not only am I helping, you know, one or two clients, I'm literally helping 30,000 clients here, 100,000 clients there because the policies that she's introducing has a greater impact on the community than I ever could have had as the social worker that was helping one person. And I think I also think, though, that the social worker that I am plays into this because the skills that I learned as a social worker help me so much in the work that I that I do, you know, political social work is so important and we need this diversity of backgrounds in the political space which I'll talk about in a little bit when it comes particularly to emerge, but we need this political, this diversity of experiences and education in the political space to really diversify, you know, our way of thinking in this space. And so I do think being a social worker and a public health advocate has helped me in this space, but I, I love what I do at Emerge. I do. It's just, it's, it's beautiful work.
0: Your passion and your joy is showing through so loudly and it's beautiful to witness and see. It's inspiring. And let me just say that I am so glad you are a part of my state because we need more people like you stepping forward and not just seeing something and saying, I wish someone would change that situation, but how can I be directly a part of the change? And so, and I, so I love the fact that you have even matriculated from being the executive director to now being able to influence broader population of geographies and people. So it sounds like this was um, a job that was written specifically for you, Melissa. So I, I do want to acknowledge that. You know, it's so interesting. Um, I have never had any type of political aspirations and I don't think that that will ever kind of hit me. Um, you know, we, we all know our calling. We all know our purpose. I think that the closest I ever came was being on the um, the zoning and appeals commission um, in the city of Greenville reporting into the, the city council. But I am, I'm such a big advocate for women taking those posts and being willing to weather the storm and being a voice of so many, particularly for those that are part of these underserved communities. And because I'm in South Carolina, I have great context of like Allendale and Somerville, those places that you mentioned. This is an audience that's really broad. And so I'm glad that you helped us to understand the difference between like a Greenville and a Charleston versus those other cities. And I'm sure that probably every state that's represented right now on this call can say the same, you know, and so we do need those apps. You start to talk a little bit, Melissa, about the intersection of that social work and politics. I want to dig in a little bit deeper there. And so can you just expound on how the two really are, how they intersect and how they um, have shaped how effective you've able to be in this role and why is that important?
1: Well, for me, I come into politics because of the issues and because of policy. And so that is where the political bug or itch really comes from. It's because I care about the issues at the core of what I do. And I care about the people. And so my social work degree, my public health degree really give me a good grounding in what the issues are and why it matters that we do this work. And what's at stake even. That it's not just a matter of let me get more women elected. You know What studies have shown is that if we have more women elected, more things get done. Women just get things done. And that's what the studies show. I can't, I haven't made it up, I can't argue with it. And particularly democratic women. And it shows that they introduce more bills than their male colleagues, they get more bills passed. So if you wanna see progress in your communities, you have to have, we we know this in in for-profit work too, that for-profit companies that have more diversity actually see greater profits. And so yeah. if you want to see things happening, either in your for-profit business or in the, in the public sector, you have to have diversity within the people that are doing the work. And so I believe that as a social worker and a public health person, I am grounded in understanding what we have at stake when it comes to electing women. It's not just about having a name or a woman in a position, it's about actually getting those things progress, that work done to actually show progress in our communities. And we've seen that in places where we have a majority women legislature or more women in the legislature than we have in other states. We have seen issues that are categorized as women's issues. And I quote women's issues because I feel like women's issues are community issues. When Mm -hmm. women are well, the family does well. When the family does well, the community does well. And it's not just about you know, reproductive rights, health rights and education. It's about everything. And so women are able to multitask and they're able to talk about women's issues and reproductive issues, while they're also able to talk about transportation and national security. We're able to do it all. And so we need to have more women at the table to really address those core issues, their are impacting our communities. I want to see my state succeed. I'm here. I could move. I could move to a state that has better health outcomes, better educational outcomes, but I'm leaving behind those children that I talked about. I'm leaving behind my family. And so I have committed to see my state do better. And I believe for my state to do better, we need more women elected to office.
0: I love it. You said a mouthful when you said that women's issues are community issues and how you expanded upon that. It is so true. And it's time for us to really continue to amplify that in a more intense way, because that is that is so critical. I love how you started talking about that intersection of social work and politics. You you brought the receipts. You gave the stats. You can't argue with data. Data is really important. So some could be saying, well, yeah, Democratic women, yeah, yeah. Do they really have that, that level of impact in getting bills passed? You brought the receipts. You're bringing the data. You can't argue with that. So that's always important. So Melissa, I want to talk now about the new American majority, right? Yes. So let's talk about what that is and how it's shaping the modern American politics.
1: So if you haven't seen all the studies out there, if you haven't seen all the articles out there, America is browning. We're getting more brown. Um, <laughs> black, brown individuals are, are growing in numbers in America. Also what's growing in numbers is unmarried women LGBTQ plus folk, indigenous individuals, we are growing in the numbers as the population. So because we're growing in the numbers as a population, we're also growing as the electorate. But if you haven't seen your elected official lately, they probably don't look like the new American majority. (laughs) The vast majority of them don't. And so what, you know, Congresswoman Presley said it best, those closest to the problem should be closest to the solution. Mm, mm. Really, actually, impact those issues that I care about. We have to have people that are that are impacted by those issues, that have experienced those issues. We have to have people that represent our communities actually at the table solving the issues in those communities. Not only are they best equipped there, but they deserve to have that seat at the table. They deserve to be there, and they deserve to be part of the solution. You can't. You can't build something without the people that you're trying to build it for. And when you do, I learned this in in public health, when you try to create a program and come into a community and say, oh, I know what your issues are, I'm gonna solve them. Nine times out of 10, you're going to fail because that community doesn't have buy-in and you might not even know what the issue is. Just because this issue says that's the issue on paper doesn't mean that's actually what the issue in the community is. And so when you don't have the, the community at the table, you're going to fail. And so we need a, an elected, elected population that reflects our actually electorate, our voters, our communities. And so the new American majority of black, brown, indigenous, LGBTQ, young, and unmarried women was who we're trying to recruit to be able to change the face of politics in this country. And we've had some success doing that. You know, Emerge has over 5,000 alum. Of that, about 1,200 are currently serving in office. And we've yeah. had alums that have broken glass ceilings everywhere yeah. Um, um, Mayor London Breed in San Francisco, who is the first African American woman mayor of San Francisco, all the way to Dana Carvey, who is the first openly transgender person serving in a state legislative body in Virginia. So we are breaking glass ceilings, but as our VP Harris said, you know, she may be the first, but she will not be the last. And so while these individuals are breaking glass ceilings, or at least putting cracks in the ceilings, we're hoping that they will not be the, 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 the last, that they will only be the first. And we're seeing that across with our alums, that we're breaking those glass ceilings. It is sad that in 2023, we still have so many glass ceilings, but we do. Even at the local level, you may look around and realize that your elected official has never looked like you. They have never sound like you. They have never understood your needs. And so that is what our goal is, is to make sure that we are increasing that diversity of the elected population to actually be able to be a great service to their constituents. And so part of the work that we're doing is actually we do a DEI training. Also, we do an equity and justice training, which I think is unique in the public in the in the, the political sphere, in the sense that it's not enough for us to recruit and train individuals from diverse backgrounds, but we mm-hmm. also make sure they're able to best serve constituents. Right from diverse backgrounds. And so we're doing that work to really make a difference. And I I personally think the work that EMERGE is doing is groundbreaking in that sense, um, that we're focused on the new American majority and we're focused on making sure that our trainees have the access to that great quality equity and justice training to make sure that they really are well-rounded elected officials and that they can best serve their constituencies.
0: Yeah, America is definitely browning, and um, it's time for us to really um, understand how that impacts people who are in these official, you know, positions, and so I am so familiar with Emerge. I know of a number of women that have gone through the program, and there's someone in our community here today, Sharon Garrett, um, who commented into the chat that she loves that you are the deputy director, and um, she's a part of Emerge South Carolina, and so thanks for joining us, Sharon. Um, Yeah, I love the fact that you brought to the conversation the need for those elected Officials to get proximate to the problems in order to really drive towards solutions. You know, Brian Stevenson talks about that all the time, the author of Just Mercy. There's no way we can begin to solve for um these, these big complex social issues without understanding exactly how it's impacting the people on the on the other end. And so that proximity is really critical. Um, So this is such an interesting conversation for me. For those who are in our audience and they're thinking, you know, maybe like me, okay, I I vote and, you know, I certainly have I know how to contact my elected officials if I need to rally the troops and and get my voice out there. But I don't have right now understanding of what the um, the process looks like if I do have political aspirations. And so for those who may be considering running for political office, what are some of the qualities that they need to possess um, that you would share, Melissa?
1: So when I'm recruiting or selecting individuals to be part of our training program, what I'm looking for is not necessarily people who have been politically involved. That's not a requirement. I want you to be politically aware, you know, definitely know what the issues in your community are to know why you have these beliefs and and that you hold these convictions that we're looking for, Um, but not necessarily that you have worked for the party or you ran before or you ran campaigns. That's not a necessity. What is a necessity though, is that you're a leader in your community in some some aspect. And that can be in very different roles. As you heard from my bio, I'm in a sorority, I'm in a service organization. And so those are leadership roles in my community. If you have children and you serve on your PTA, that's a leadership role. If you are a leader at work, that's a leadership role. There's various ways that you can be a leader in your community. So that's what I'm looking for. Someone who is politically aware, not necessarily always politically involved, but politically aware and who are leaders in their community. And those skills will translate to them being an elected official. Now, some of your audience may be like, well, I don't even know that I want to run. And my thing is, you know, if you, not you, then who?
0: Yeah. There's yeah.
1: Not, like there's not a knight on in shining armor on a white horse that's coming to save us. I know yeah. of, some people are like, oh, I'll work on a campaign. I'll volunteer for a campaign, but not me, not me. Mm-hmm. Well, then who? There's yeah. not, I've done candidate recruitment. I wish we had candidates falling out the sky. It may look that way for certain races, but there are other races that is hard to get candidates to run. We need good quality qualified people to run who have solutions, who have ideas. And so I will encourage you, I will do your first ask. Um, I've heard that it takes asking a woman as many as seven times and a woman of color as many tw- as 21 times. I would do your first ask. You should consider running for office. You should take and really sit down and make a conscious decision of is this is, if this is a place for you and can you bring something to the table that maybe someone else can. And again, you don't have to have all this information and these skills because guess what most of the elected officials don't know what they're doing um, they are they are people in the community too who decided just to step up and run for office. They don't have this great you know prerequisite of information and and, and knowledge and skill set that they bought to elected officials uh, to elected office Some of them are trying to figure it out as they go also what yeah. I have found in the emerge world though is that most of our women who come to run for office are coming because they saw an issue in their community. They reached out to the elected official. Their elected official didn't do anything. They got frustrated and said, "You know what? I'm gonna roll my sleeves up and I'm gonna do it myself."
0: Mm-hmm. So what I'm hearing is that it's not too late for people like me, people like all of you yeah. that are part of this community, those who may even listen to this in the podcast, you know, later down the road or watch the replay. And so, yeah, let's let's not feel like our time is up. We still can make a decision to get involved. And um, and, and so thank you for, for, for that message. So I'm gonna be transitioning uh, momentarily to take questions and um, maybe some contributions from those of you that are part of this community that would like to share. If you're part of our Zoom vodcast, you can let us know that you're willing to share your comments or present your question live by using the raise hand feature. Or um, you can also just share your questions or comments into the chat. We will make sure we bring that to the live discussion as well. And if you're joining us LinkedIn Live, you can go to the comments and add your questions there. And again, my team is watching that and bringing it over to this community. So while you percolate on maybe the curiosities you're holding, I'm going to go to my next question. And then I will be looking for those who may have their hands raised or place any type of um, commentary into the chat. So one of the things that I would imagine this broad audience is thinking about is, OK, so South Carolina has a program like Emerge. So how do I go and find the Emerge for other states, other communities? Is do you Can you provide some intel around how people can locate a similar type of effort and initiative within their communities?
1: Yes. So Emerge actually has affiliates in 27 states. However, we have alum in 45 states and territories. Yes, mm-hmm. territories. The governor of Guam is an Emerge alum. Wow. And so we have affiliates and we have uh, presence in all these territories. So you can, you can seek Emerge one of two ways. You can go to your state affiliate and you can go to EmergeAmerica.org to look for Emerge in your state. If there's not an Emerge in your state, you can take one of our national trainings. So, for example, this month, we're doing a national boot camp. And that mm-hmm. would be for individuals who are running in less of the next 18 months who may not have an opportunity to attend a state-based training or may not have an Emerge in their state, but they want to get trained by Emerge. And through that training, we're going to take our individuals through how to be a candidate, how to run a successful campaign. Yeah. I've heard that for... Um, First time candidates, the success rate is maybe 10 or 20%. For our alum, we have about a 71% success rate. That includes incumbents. We have about a 71% success rate, if not higher in some of our states, because they're well trained, because they know how to run a campaign. They're not spending their wheels trying to figure things out, wasting time and money trying to figure things out. They know how to actually launch and run a successful campaign. So that's what makes Emerge so unique. Well, actually what makes Emerge unique is the network. So the training is great, and there are some other training organizations out there, but our success rate, I think, in part is due to our network, which is what makes Emerge unique. That network of 500, 5,000 plus individuals, um, you know, it's a very strong network in the sense that I have connected people across the nation to each other. It may be someone who's running for office in California, who has a unique life experience, it's gonna come up on the campaign trail, and there's no one else around them who has that experience. But there's someone in Virginia who has that experience. We can connect them so that they can have that conversation so that person in California can run a stronger campaign because of that network. And so Emerge alum, we, they train together, but they form a network. And that network then goes on to support each other. They work for each other's campaigns, volunteer for each other, donate to each other. It just, it creates this beautiful movement in a sense that you're not in this by yourself. I think as women, and particularly women of color or LGBTQ plus women, you can feel very alone in the campaign trail because no one else looks like you yeah. or no one else um, appears like you, whether that's my natural hair, you know, how we're dressing, you know, yeah. is, that, is that cookie cutter, we're supposed to dress like this and wear these outfits and have our hair like this to be professional. Well, that's not, it's 2023. That's not what it is anymore. We're not trying to create cookie cutter elected officials. We're trying to create authentic people who are willing to show up as their authentic selves. And so that means finding somebody who you're in community with, who you can identify with, who has been here and done that. And we have that in the Emerge Network.
0: Yeah. So those networks, those connections, it's so critically important. And um, we did place the link into the chat. It is EmergeAmerica.org. So you can find out what those connection points are if you're not in South Carolina. Um, And it goes back to what you said in the beginning, Melissa. It takes a village, right? It takes a village. And so those networks and connections can really, really, really be critical. So I hope that you all are going to learn a little bit more about um, the Emerge Network. So a question has come in from Courtney Williams. So thank you, Courtney, for your question. And her question is, can you tell us more about the trainings you offer personally and through your organization?
1: Yes, so I do our diversity, equity, and justice training. Um, that is one of my favorite trainings to, to talk about because I'm able to talk about you know my own intersectionality of identities and how I show up in the political space, and then really helping our participants understand how their identities impact them politically and how it's going to impact the work that they're doing and how they're going to work with with different um, constituencies. So that's probably one of my favorite trainings to do. And then we offer A couple of different types of training. So one is our boot camp. Our boot camp is about 25 hours of training. And that's a condensed training. It takes you over everything you need to know to be a candidate. Then we have our signature training. Our signature training is like our boot camp on steroids. That is like 60 to 70 hours of training, usually over four to six months. And that will take you, whereas you may get a couple of hours of fundraising training through the boot camp, you'll get a full day of of fundraising training through the signature training program. Mm -hmm. Then we also have some new programs. One of them is called Gavel In, and Gavel In is our judicial training program. So that is where we're trying to train up the next generation of judges, because we do know, and if you don't know, I think these last couple of Supreme Court cases, um, shout (laughs) out to... Uh, Supreme Court Justice, Associate Justice Kataji okay. Brown, uh, yes. we're so happy to to have her on the Supreme Court, um, adding that, that diversity along with mm-hmm. um, our other justices. Uh, but, you know, if you haven't realized by now, the judicial system matters. Who our judges are matters. So sometimes our judges can be that last stopgap between good legislation and bad legislation. And so our judicial system matters. And then we also have our seated together program, which is specifically for us trying to give black women a space where they can be trained to run for higher office so that is women who have ran for office who are currently serving or who have served who are looking and seeking higher office and it gives them a sense of community because as black women our our needs can be unique when it comes to running and fundraising and doing all the campaign things. And then we actually have a sibling organization called Winning Leaders Emerge. And that is for individuals who may not yet be ready to run for office, but they want a little bit more of that professional development, that network, that mentorship. And I actually I actually gained a mentee from that program, who I currently mentor through her professional, her professional journey. So um, that is a wonderful program, also, that is one of our sibling organizations. So as you can see, we have a couple of different programs, a couple of different opportunities for us to train individuals within the, within the eMERGE network that we have.
0: And are all of those opportunities described on the emergeamerica.org website? Yes, Melissa? You can Navigate okay. the
1: website and get access to all of those different opportunities.
0: Okay, great. Yes, the judicial system certainly matters. And something else I heard you say during that last clip, which I want to just amplify is that even if you've already been in office and you seek to go to a higher level of, of a position from an elected official perspective, there's a there's some additional support to help you even on that journey. So it's not just for first-time folks looking to really get into the political system. It's even those who look to go higher and higher. So it seems like it's a well old machine. It's thought about all the things, which is really, really critical. Um, So there's another question that has popped into the chat, and this question comes from Allie Stokes. Allie, thank you so much for being with us today. What do you say to folks who are hesitant about considering thoughts around costs associated with running a campaign? So generally speaking, she's asking about, yeah, what if they're hesitant because they're like, there's a lot of cost involved. I don't have like this, you know, unlimited well of resources. So you mentioned fundraising already and how they help you to understand what the fundraising path should look like. Is there more that you can say about that?
1: So we go over a full fundraising training and I will say that women, particularly women of color, may have a harder time fundraising in the sense that we are not socialized to ask for money. Our communities tend to give in a way that's not always monetary, but sometimes time and effort they give. So it's sometimes hard to go to our communities to ask that question. What I tell people, and I'll give you this free bit of information from our training here, the way that I train when it comes to fundraising is I tell people, you deserve, I deserve to be asked. Do not count my, my dollars. Don't count my wallet. Don't assume that I don't have the money. Even though you may know me personally, and you may know some of my trials and tribulations. Don't assume I don't have the money. Ask me. And that's one thing that I teach our participants. And I think it's very helpful for our participants of color, particularly, and our participants from lower resource communities, is that you may not feel like you want to ask your mom or your aunt or your uncle or your cousin because you're like, oh, I know they don't have the money. You don't know. We will we can find money for things that we believe in. And if I believe in you, even if it's five dollars, that five dollars can help you buy a yard sign. So trust
0: yeah.
1: me, don't count my dollars, don't count me out. Give me that respect to ask me for my money. So I think it's very important for us to know that we should ask people in our lives to support us in our campaign. And in addition to that, <coughs> excuse me, in addition to that, um, I think it's important as women that we, we move past this, the fear of asking for money and we learn to do that, which is something that we teach you to do in the eMERGE training is how to ask for that money. We go over intensive fundraising training to teach you that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter your personal wealth. It, okay, it could matter in the sense that, can you work your current job while you're running for office? Can you work your current job if you're elected to office? Those are real questions you have to ask yourself. But as far as how much money you can bring in the campaign, I know a state rep um, who used to serve and she raised a couple of thousand dollars for her campaign. Her opponent had well over a $100,000. He came from wealth, but she won. So it's not always... And it's not necessarily those are outliers i can tell you different stories of that happening in different communities it's not always your personal wealth that comes into play sometimes it literally is how you connect with the voters and how do you take the money that you are able to raise and how do you maximize that connecting with your voters so don't feel like you have to come for wealth to be able to run for office that is not necessary and i don't want all my elected officials being wealthy i'm not wealthy. <laughs> if, you, if you're wealthy, right, you're probably the deficient who don't realize that eggs cost a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah, you, out, know? you know, the perception is maybe they're out of touch. And so, yeah, I, I totally get that. Yeah, yeah, let it work to your benefit that maybe that's not a part of your story, right? Exactly, um, exactly. The relatability factor, I think, can be important in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No, that's huge. Okay, so I want to talk about the fact that 2024 is a huge election year. Huge, 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 huge. And so, Melissa, this is probably a a whole hour-long conversation, but what can you maybe just succinctly share with us that you suggest that our audience do to learn more about the candidates and the issues that we will be voting on? So
1: I know here in South Carolina, I think nationwide, the League of Women Voters has a really good website called 411, I think it's 411 Vote, or Vote Mm -hmm. 411. And they're able, they do candidate screenings or candidate surveys, and they're able to compare and contrast candidates. If you don't Mm -hmm. go to the league, go to a a source that you trust. And and be careful because there are a lot of blogs out there. There are a lot of media out there that is very left-leaning, very right-leaning. The league is is an organization that I trust because they tend to give non-biased information. I mean, they're basically presenting the survey exactly how the questions are written. So they're not reinterpreting it into a news article. So go to sources that you trust and do comparisons of your candidates and find out those issues that you care about. What are their their views on those issues? And y'all, we have a presidential election coming up. I understand the presidential election is hot and sexy. Everybody's like, oh, who am I voting for for president? Let me tell you, school board matters just as much as president, and school board is more likely to impact your daily life than president is, so please don't just go out there looking for who's running for president. Listen to who's running for your school board. Listen to who's running for county council. Listen to who's running for register of deeds and probate judge, because those will have an impact on your life just as much as the presidency will. If you're able to listen to the Facebook lives of your candidates, listen to the forms, go to the Forms, ask questions, reach out the campaigns, ask those questions that you care about to find out what their views are so you can make an informed decision. Don't just go and do any, mini money mo. Make an informed decision of who you're voting for because that person's going to make decisions about your life for the next four, two to four to six years. You want to make sure you're making the right decision.
0: Yeah, I love that. What comes to mind is what's hit the the news media um, of late with um, the the libraries in um, Texas that are now going to become disciplinary spaces. I mean, those are things that uh, certainly is going to hurt the, the, the brown, black and brown communities. And so you know, sometimes we have to realize that where we can make a difference is, of course, lending our voice towards a voting process. And so I, I love that you're bringing some of the, um, the the education realm and the experiences there and the power there as we are um, casting our votes. Um, so I know that part of the, the training offerings is through a lens of DEI, making sure that all of those who go through the training program certainly are sensitized to what they need to have top of mind to make sure they are are definitely operating with the lens of equity and inclusion. As you think about the future of DEI and the recent um, Supreme Court decisions and how it's impacting higher learning institutions, as well as it's now finding its way into lots of implications for you know, corporate America, what are, what, are, what are you thinking, Melissa? What comes up for you?
1: You know, I, as I said earlier, when it comes to for-profit companies, when it comes to public institutions, diversity makes a difference. And so you could allow the Supreme Court decision to make you say, well, you know what? I no longer want to have, you know, what we call diversity hires. I hate that word because a person isn't diverse. A person has intersection intersecting identities. Right. People are diverse. And I hate the idea of a diversity hire, but you can say, you know, we're no longer looking to hire people from diverse backgrounds. But if you look around your table at work, whether that's your board of directors or whether that's your employees and everyone looks the same, your company is not going to be as successful as it would with a diverse group of people at that table. So Absolutely. you can make that decision that you're not going to diversify your institution or you're not going to diversify your company, but you're going to be more harmed for it than helped by it. And so mm-hmm. realizing that diversity is the way to go. It is the future. It is the way to make sure that you are maximizing profit, that you're best serving your customers, that you're best serving the community, that you are doing the best job that you can do with whatever that product or job or service is that you're providing. Because diversity, not it's not about having a diversity hire or having a quota or having these many black and brown faces or LGBTQ plus faces. It's about bringing diversity of experience and thought. And when you've mm-hmm. people who look different, they probably think different. And mm-hmm. so you're going to bring that diversity of thought into your business and you're able to see things that you probably weren't able to see before. And so again, no one should have to make you do it. You should want to do it because one, it's the right thing to do. And two, it's going to actually make your business a better business and so if you're not being intentional and you got to be intentional about it don't just say oh well black people don't apply here or women don't apply here or lgbtq plus people don't apply here are you actively seeking them out you know at emerge we make sure that we are posting our job in various places we make sure that our applicant pool is diverse also because we're intentional about it if you're not intentional about it it won't happen right. so you have to make sure that you're intentionally recruiting people from diverse backgrounds go to where they are I guarantee you, you will find somebody qualified from a background that doesn't look like you who will be great at the job that you're posting for.
0: Yeah, that's so good, Melissa. You're speaking my language when you use words like intentional. Yes, we can't be passive about this. We have to make sure that we're being strategic, calibrated. We're operating with a high level of of action-oriented ways in which we can help navigate these things, and intentionality certainly is is the the core of that. Um, And I share your sentiments. Now is not the time for us to feel defeated and to back away. Now is the time for us to go harder, to dig deeper, to be even more creative and innovative and trying to solve for some of the ways in which the rhetoric is causing many organizational leaders to to back away from their commitment to DEI. So we have about six minutes left, Melissa, and that you started talking, you know, throughout our conversation today about some of these success stories. I want us to spend some time really honing in on that before we close out um, the hour. Um, like you've given us some examples of how a governor um, now of Guam, I believe, was you know, okay. is an emerging and you, you referenced some others. But I would love for you to talk a bit more about maybe some success stories.
1: Okay, yes, there's two that I can, three I can actually talk about, and they're all from southern-ish states, so sorry for okay. those of you who are in other places, but you know, I have, a, I have a little southern bias there. So the first I'm going to talk about is my colleague, um, Delicate Danica Rome, and so Delicate Rome actually is the emerged, um, Virginia Executive Director, but she is also a delegate in the House in Virginia, and, De- and Danica Rome is the first openly transgender person to, to run and serve as a state legislative body in the United States in, in history, she made history. And so she actually unseated the guy who introduced the bathroom bill.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: Danica ran on, on infrastructure issues, because guess what? Infrastructure affects everyone, y'all. It as- does. And so, while yes, LGBTQ plus and trans, specifically trans issues, are near and dear to her, do not think that people who have different identities only run on their issues of related to their identities. They have the same issues that we have, like transportation. And so, she ran on transportation <laughs> issues and she was elected to office, came through the eMERGE training, was one of our ones, recruited for a boot camp, recruited to run. And she ran and won and is making waves in Virginia and is running for the state Senate now. So Danica is someone that I think is just a great example there. Then we have Representative Heather Bauer here in South Carolina. And Heather came to the Emerge training. She did run for office before and did not win as sometimes happens with first-time candidates. But I remember having a conversation with Heather Bauer, Representative Bauer, right before filing for the seat she currently holds. And I was like this is your seat. You 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 need we need you. You need to run for the seat. And she had some other people that were very much supportive of her ran, running and she decided, you know what? I'm going to run. And I'm going to run on an abortion message. She ran against someone who was anti-abortion in a in a time period right after Roe v. Wade was I struck down. down. And, and stuck to her guns, stuck to her message and ran on that message very strongly. And now she is serving in the South Carolina State House. So I am personally very excited about Heather because I was able to train her. I've seen her growth and I see the impact that she's having for the community here in South Carolina. And then there is Congresswoman Lucy Macbeth. Congresswoman Macbeth was also recruited. She was actually recruited by our current president, um, Ashanti Golar and Shannon Watts of, Man, of Moms Demand Action. If you don't know Congresswoman Macbeth's story, her son was brutally murdered um, in, a, in a gun situation, a gun case in Georgia um, that was deemed a loud music case in the sense that the car he was in was playing loud music. Um, an older white male shot into the car and, and killed Jordan Davis, which was um, uh, Congresswoman X. Beth's son. And so she ran on gun issues. She ran in a red district, y'all, a red district that had not seen a Democrat maybe ever or if not in some decades in Newt Gendrick's old district. She won. She flipped that district blue, won her seat, and is serving in Congress has been serving for a couple of terms now. And is making waves and is just doing wonderful things for the state of Georgia. She is doing wonderful things in Congress. So these are all individuals who were recruited, who were supported by not just Emerge. As I said earlier, I mentioned Shannon Watts, I mentioned some other groups, you know, who were supported by Emerge, but also some of our partner organizations in the work that they do. And we came together, recruited these individuals, supported them to run, and now they are making waves and they are they are changing literally their
0: communities. That is so awesome. That is so inspiring. And again, you're bringing receipts. You're bringing some real results through the efforts of Emerge. And so, for those of you who are interested, or maybe even down the road, you think you may be interested, or you know of someone who should be interested, right. I hope that you're going to share this communication out and this replay uh, with others who who are not able to join us today. But Melissa Watson Ward, this has been great, very informative, and we can tell that you are the woman for the job because your passion <laughs> showing through so boldly. And we're just grateful that um, you spent some time with us today to share. And so um, I hope you all have a great, great, great weekend. And if you found this content, again, to be useful, then don't keep it to yourself. Share it out with someone else. And we hope to see you again next week for Intentional Conversations podcast. Have a great safe weekend. Bye-bye.